0: Well, hello everybody. Welcome to Coffeehouse Theology, the podcast edition. It is December the 16th, 2020, and this is our final podcast for the year. What a year it's been, Brian. It has been a year.
1: It's been a year. It's been several years, actually, in a single year. <laughs>
0: that's a good it's exciting part, about twenty twenty. So, so it's good that we're ending with the apocalypse.
1: Exactly, because that, that's kind of what it's felt like the whole At least tribulation, I think, it could be a go. good description of where we've there been. <laughs> but maybe, maybe not. But what's been so cool, right, is that to be going through God's Word in this time yeah. and to see the solid ground that we walk on as Christians, that even when all this craziness is swirling around us, yeah. we have this to stand on.
0: Yeah, I want to give a shout-out to those of you who have completed or are about to complete the Bible reading plan. Some of you guys have been showing me your marked-up little page or uh, sending us emails and stories. We'd love to hear some more of those, things God taught you, maybe things that you never have seen before in Scripture that you saw this year. Uh, if it's your first time or your 61st time, like Miss Helen Tyler, uh we would love to hear from you so big congratulations we actually planned to if we were able to be in person to have a have a big shindig tonight but uh we'll we'll save that for another time but again just a word of encouragement to you and hopefully uh, today will bless you as we wrap up uh our uh, walking all the way through the books of the Bible. Hopefully you get the handouts if you don't info at stationhillchurch.com. if you've been keeping up with those you basically have your own little mini commentary for every book of the Bible now.
1: That's right at least an introductory series right, right. so yeah, that worked. that worked out well. And and you and I've talked about how much you and I have learned going oh, through absolutely. this and we've been through the Bible each many times and we've certainly taught specific passages, you know, tens or hundreds of times. But how much you see going through at this pace uh, has been unique for you, for you and I. That you know, teaching this weekly and so having to kind of pull back, yeah. you see how these things connect. And yeah, that, and that's and I think that's
0: probably a great book. rhythm for our Bible reading, Brian. Just moving mm-hmm. forward, at least for me, is that I think I, you know I don't think I'm going to try to read the Bible through every year yeah. because what I did this year was I flagged things. I was like, oh, I want to learn more about that, or I want to spend some more time in this book, so I'm going to go back and do a deeper dive. Right. Well, then probably maybe in 2022, I'm going to go back and read the Bible through. So you get this rhythm of the big picture with really drilling down into the details and back to the big picture. Um, so just one of my takeaways from this year.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And I got, the, I got the same thing, and I've done the same thing. I've gone through and flagged like, wow, I never really—and and things that you put together, right? Yeah. And so there the collection, what I've got are kind of collections of things to study together because I've now seen the relationships. And that's, that's what's just been so fascinating to me this year.
0: Yeah, good good stuff well Brian one last time bring us up to speed with where we're at and pray for us and then we'll we're going to jump in
1: absolutely I'll, I'll pray and then we'll then we'll get on get on an introduction father god we are thankful we're thankful for your grace thankful for your son that saves us thankful for your word father how exciting it's been to go through the Bible in, in a year thank you for for all the spirit has lit up in us right for all that he yeah. has revealed uh, through your word and, and through these studies and through these interactions and through the way that 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 the the word plays out in our life and, and And so, Father, continue to guide and strengthen us. Uh, Today, as as we look at John, the very personal letters and then the grand book of worship, right, that we have in Revelation, uh, open our hearts and our minds to your truth and and change us. Um, Whenever we encounter your truth, we should be different people, Father. So so let us be changed uh, through this encounter with you and encounter with your word. It's in the precious name of Christ, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've gone a long way. We have gone a long way, right? Started off in the beginning.
0: In the very beginning. In the
1: very beginning, right? Creation, the fall and the flood. And then we went through God's covenant people where we felt like we were there forever. (laughs) Because then God's people kind of felt like they were there forever, I think. That's right. right? Because we went through the patriarchs, the exodus and the covenant, the promised land, kings and prophets. And eventually they came back. And you'd think that after all this experience, it would be better. And it was the same. Yeah. Right. It was the same because that. we don't have hope in and of ourselves. And so now, you know, we get to God's new covenant people, Christ's coming, right? And then his ministry in, in God's true king, right? Manifests his kingdom. We see that kingdom growing. And then Christ's death and resurrection, right? As he delivers his mm-hmm. people. And then his church growing, right? As we went through Acts, kind of talked about Acts and Romans being underpinnings of the history, history and the theology uh, of what we would study. And today, right? We get to kind of the, the big, the big reveal if you will right yeah. Christ's second coming and reign God's future kingdom
0: yeah the, the Luke Roman and the worship ministry did such a good job in the Christmas program of giving us that meta-narrative right the king is coming that was those first couple of acts the king is here that's what we've been studying in the New Testament and then the king is coming again we, we finally get there today
1: Amen. And, and just a beautiful work. And and as I've told you, you you have a unique gift in teaching Revelation, so I'm just thrilled to, to, to hear you teach going through this.
0: Yeah, well, it'll be fun. Well, uh, as Brian pointed out last week, we've covered everything Paul and everything kind of non-Paul. Now we're down to, to one author, uh, and that's John. Yep. So um, we're going to hit the, the letters, uh, the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John first, and then, then we want to give ourselves plenty of time to talk about Revelation, of course. Uh, but uh, But it's interesting, isn't it, Brian, that That John called himself the beloved disciple uh, in his own gospel. And so we get three kind of snapshots of different stages of John in the New Testament. We get John's gospel, which we covered several weeks ago. Then we get these, the the pastoral kind of letters that he wrote. And then we get the the revelation uh, that he experienced. And so what's amazing to me, the the through line to me is this idea of of John's understanding of the love of God through Christ uh, and our command, therefore, to love one. Another, like John never got over that he 's the one who captures john thirteen thirty four where Jesus said in the upper room, A new command I give to you, love one another and that 's not because the command was new nice. we have that in the Old Testament, right love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself but but what is new about it right is our ability to fulfill that. Because of Christ, Amen. Instead of trying to do it in our own strength, you know. And so, so the, the new higher dimension of love that's available for us in Christ. And so, it, it's really interesting to think about John now, very late in his life, writing these letters pastorally. And guess what? His themes are <laughs> love, love. <laughs> you know, fellowship. light, fellowship, life, right, yeah. yeah, fellowship <laughs> with God. Yeah. So let's peel into that a little bit. I'm gonna uh, we're gonna take First John. It's a little more lengthy, and then we'll, we'll do a quick look at 2nd and 3rd John. Um, but in 1st John, of course, the, the who, the author, is the beloved disciple of Jesus who writes now with really a pastor's hearts to, he calls them his little children and his beloved ones in the faith. Uh, it was probably written around AD 90, wow. so we're very late now in, in the first century. Some of the oldest writings are, are you know, as far as chron- chronology goes uh, in, the, in the New Testament. So um, outside of Revelation 1, the New Testament's silent about John's latest years, but early uh, Christian tradition is consistent that John left Jerusalem. There he had been a pillar of the church. Paul points that out. Acts points that out. Shortly before the destruction of the city by the Romans. That was a a really cataclysmic event where the Romans finally came in to crush the Jews in AD 70. So at some point, John had fled. Remember, Jesus had warned them when these signs come, flee to the hills. And so John and a lot of the early Christians did. I mean, Jesus gave them a heads up and they took it. And so a lot of the, the early Christians had fled Jerusalem, including John. And he lands around Ephesus, uh, which w- would have been a you know a, a stronger area for for church work there planted by Paul during that era. Uh, and so uh, we'll see that when we get to Revelation seven of the churches mentioned are, are all in kind of a clockwise uh, formation around Ephesus. Uh, and it was probably written after these letters, after the Gospel of John. He wrote the, the Gospel, you know, sometime in the same period, but probably before.
1: Well, it's interesting to see his maturing like we saw Paul. Yeah. Right, where we, where we kind of see the, his early work in the gospel, and then you, you really get this maturity and sensitivity, if you will, yeah. both to people and the Spirit. Yes. And I think that's what you hear through his, his, his pastoral letters mm-hmm. and then through Revelation is, is how sensitive John has become, mm-hmm. both to the pastoral needs of the people yeah. and then to the, the move. Of, I mean, I think there are very people—very obviously there was one person, right, that the Lord chose to reveal Revelation to, but I think part of that was his sensitivity and maturing in his point. faith.
0: Great point, and and you know he writes th- th- these letters not to immature believers. Instead, uh, these these believers were established, and John had a close relationship with them. They they were grounded, he says, in sound doctrine, and, which makes it all the more interesting to me that he goes back to those major themes of right. light and life and love. Right. In other words, you never get past those in right. in your your development as a Christian. It's not like oh yeah, those are the ABCs, and now we move on to you know speaking in tongues and eschatology. And right. no no no, it all still comes back to you know knowing God and knowing Christ. As light and life and love.
1: Right. Everything is greater detail of those things. Yeah. Right. Because like you say, it's not a found it's not, it's not you not know, a foundation per se of like say you master them and move on. It's that these are the things we do and these are all the beautiful ways they express themselves.
0: Yeah. Great point. Great point. So, you know, on the, the threshold of severe persecution breaking out throughout the Roman Empire against the Christians under the Roman Emperor Domitian, which happens in, in AD ninety five and really sets the stage for revelation, John writes to them as a mature spiritual father mm-hmm. out of loving concern. Uh, First John may may very likely have first been a sermon that has kind of been morphed into a letter form. Uh, And John writes with a disarming simplicity of style and vocabulary. I I like that phrase, yeah. So the why, what's the major theme of First John? Well, it's fellowship with God, bottom line. And if our fellowship with God is right, well, then we'll have fellowship with one another. So as we've already mentioned, God is light, life, uh, and love. John wanted his readers to have assurance of God's presence with them. From this assurance came joy and confidence in the gospel and authentic fellowship with each other. So this idea that we can create authentic fellowship apart from truly knowing God, John really debunks that myth, right? That that our, that our connection flows out of the fact that God is love, and so we're able to love each other. Uh, this bond would help the church refute the destructive teachings, in particular in this era of the Gnostics. Uh, Gnostics believed uh, in several things, but one of them was, was that uh, basically, spirit good, flesh bad, right. and so it really didn't matter what you did with your body or your actions, as long as your spirit was pure and you were, you know, you, you trying to leave your mortal coil behind for spiritual riches. And so John does a really good job of rooting that right and understanding that, yeah, the material world is broken, but God has a plan to redeem it, and you can't separate that from who you are spiritually. Exactly. So an outline of First John. Um, uh, again, here's a word from uh, Wilkinson and Boa out of the through the Bible commentary. John skillfully uses his simplicity as a vehicle for expressing some of the most profound concepts in all scripture. Certain ideas like light, life, love, truth, and righteousness are frequently repeated as developing motifs. So the structure of the book is subtle. It's actually kind of challenging to outline, but as several people have noted, it's actually a great book for a social media age Absolutely, because John just (laughs) drops in these verses, these phrases even of just great wisdom. So you kind of two big buckets, Uh, chapter one through the middle of chapter two, two verse twenty seven, abiding in God's light, that's the basis of our fellowship. And then abiding in God's love, that's the behavior of our fellowship. Uh, 228 through 521. So fellowship, as we mentioned, is the key word of first John. Uh, in our tradition, Brian, we heard fellowship and we think food. And casserole. All <laughs> right. Specifically. <laughs> that's right. So of course John's theology included shared meals among the believers, but but it was so much broader and deeper in scope. That, that it really entails that relationship with God and others in the church. So the key verse or kind of thesis verse of 1 John would be chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy might be complete. Amen. And what a great perspective, right? It comes down to if you fellowship with God, you have a great relationship with God, if you're rightly related to brothers and sisters, well then... Your your life is joyful, That's right? right? That's and he right. calls it complete. That's right. In other words, you know everything else is just icing on the cake. Right.
1: And your circumstances may still be difficult. That's right. Right, because we don't we see the difficulty of the circumstances. Oh yeah, and your
0: John- church is getting ready to head into some of the most difficult circumstances they'd face.
1: And John personally. Right, yeah, getting ready to be absolutely. isolated out on a, out on a rock, mm-hmm. right, and we could get called an island, but really a rock yeah. out in the middle of the ocean, yeah. And so, but you see that that there is still a complete joy, right? There's, there's, and there's. We see things in John that he keeps, right? That are that are rhythms of his life that are that are synchronous with God, that right. are synchronous with people, and so he can he can have that confidence that while even separated, right, he is still together,
0: right that's good that's good so i stumbled upon this had to come from a baptist preacher a couple years ago five purposes of first john all mm. with peace right <laughs> number 1 promote fellowship with god and others number 2 produce joy number 3 protect holiness number 4 prevent heresy and number yeah. 5 provide hope and we've talked about that theme a lot. And it is kind of fun now to see at the end of the, the Bible how all these themes are, are continuing to, to come together. So, you know, it's important to say this, too. Fellowship, when we throw it out there, is kind of this vague idea. Uh, it wasn't for John. No. Uh, and said it was an objective daily reality. He gives at least three tests, and I think this is great, right, that that kind of act as a fellowship barometer for faith. I get this question all the time as a pastor, like, how can, how can I be sure I'm right with God? You know, uh, I'm doubting my salvation. I need assurance. Well, John gives us three tests, basically. Number one, have I confessed all known sins to God?
1: Right, and that's prayer and repentance. Yes. Right, and we daily, daily need prayer and repentance. We do. And there are a lot of, and you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say you need to pray and read your Bible. You also need to repent. Yeah. Because if you're not repenting, you're not, you're not. You're not reading your,
0: your Bible. That's
1: right. Well, you can't, you are <laughs> yeah. convicted. I mean, every time I read you any passage, yeah. you're like, wow, yeah. I don't measure up yeah. to that. Lord, help me. Yeah. Right, and that should be our response. Yeah. Not, wow, I can do better. Let's put more into this. Yeah. It's, Lord, help me.
0: Well, and just the grace of hearing, right, in First John 1, 9, if we can. Confess our sins, he is right. faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen
1: so Amen. so that 's
0: test number yeah. one. have we confessed all known sins to God? Number two, am I walking in obedience to the light of god 's word right so again, what you shared connects because all these things connect right yep. but o- obedience to god 's word and and that 's chapter two uh, verses four and and five uh, which says well, I have to go back up to verse three and by this we know that we have come to know him if we yep. keep his commandments yep. so you know some people ask how do you know if somebody's really a christian well it's Pretty simple, right? They trust in Christ for thy salvation, and they obey. Like the old hymn, Trust and Obey. There's (laughs) no no other other way. way. (laughs) Verses 4 and 5. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. And by this... We may know that we are in Him. Amen. So, anytime people ask me those kind of questions, I'm like, "Well, let's let the Bible answer it." Right, and that's right. that's the, one of the best places I know to point people. Right, yeah. we're walking in obedience to the lights of God's word. And then, number three, the natural outflow of that: Am I demonstrating a love for my brothers and sisters in Amen. Christ? Amen. Chapter two, verses nine and ten. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling.
1: And there's such a mythology of, right, the Lone Ranger Christian. Oh, yeah. Right, such a mythology of the lone ranger Christian, and that's just the antithesis of what Christ says.
0: Well, and I think, especially as a pastor, I see so many passive aggressive Christians today. (laughs) You know, yo, we love, we love our religious experience. We love worship songs. We love this, but have you heard about so and so? You know, and I mean, just you know, or can you believe? It's just on and on it goes. And and we again, it's something we all have to confess is those attitudes. But this idea of not just you know speaking of love, but truly loving. The right. people that God has put around us as brothers and sisters is, is imperative in living that out. So, Amen. strong stuff, um, good stuff. Full, full of so many good verses, Brian. I just, even going back <laughs> through it yesterday, I was like, oh, yeah, highlight, <laughs> underline, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. See what manner the love of Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Right. You know, that we're adopted into his family. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Amen. So good. By this we know love <laughs> that he laid down his life for us. Yeah. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. We love, why? Because he first loved us. Amen. So again, I mean, it's just so tweetable. (laughs) Yes. That's that's John, you know, in in his pastoral wisdom here. And then I love that he ends the letter with this. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Yeah, what a great admonition and word for us. All right, well, let's look at second and third John. And so obviously, same author. Um, it's interesting that he introduces himself as not a elder, but the elder, right. which is one of the ways that he was known in, in the early church. Uh, this is John the Elder. Uh, and so that was one of the, the, the reputations that he had. Um, and again, I don't think he you know always used that title of, to puff himself up, but it was just how he was known. He was respected uh, because of his pastoral leadership, his connection to Christ, and his love. Again, written from around 80, 90 from around Ephesus. And so it's interesting that the first letter was written to a group of believers In danger, of course, of following false teaching. His second letter is addressed specifically to the elect lady and her children. Now, some scholars think this was literally just a family, right, in the church, while others think it's maybe a figurative description of the local church. Uh, kind of personifying her a little bit. I think either works. Right. Um, I'm kind of a fan of the literal interpretation, and I'll tell you why in just a second. Uh, but the third letter encourages fellowship with Christian brothers. Yep. Uh, so, again, all revolving around real people, you know, in the early church. So the what, these are these are really, really short, right? If you want to make yourself feel good, you know, study this and say, I, I studied a whole book of the Bible today, right? <laughs> <Or> because, two. <laughs> yeah, 2 yeah, John is all of 13 verses long, and uh, Third John is all of 15 verses long. But but the, the, it's interesting because one of the theories that's out there is they, they may have been cover letters sent with the content of 1 John to this specific lady and her family or to a church and to Gaius, you know, it, right. the, the, that, and I think that's a pretty compelling uh, scholarly approach to, to why they're so short because yep. he's going to say, hey, here's a few personal words to you right. and then read, read the rest of this as well. Makes, makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, again, we don't know for sure. We'll know when we get to the other side, but they were preserved for us for a reason. Absolutely. And And they originally fit on a sheet of papyrus as well, which was a big deal in those days.
1: Oh, yeah. It was expensive, and and there weren't that many people who could read and write. Right. And so, you know, conserving all of those materials and things were very, very important.
0: Yeah. So the why of 2nd and 3rd John is that John writes to encourage faithfulness in the practice and purity of doctrine, to remind Mm -hmm. them to love one another, and a warning not to associate with with false teachers. So 2nd John, easy outline, first six verses, walk in the commandments, practice the truth. Uh, Verses 7 through 13, watch for counterfeits protect the truth. Uh, Third John, servanthood is the first eight verses talking about Gaius, the the duty of hospitality. And then selfishness, using a a negative example, that of a guy by the name of Diotrephus is the danger of haughtiness. And that's verses nine through 14. So a few few verses that I just thought um, were great to pull out of there. Second John verses five and six. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I was writing to you a new commandment, but the one we had from the Beginning mm. that we love one another. There it is. I yep. mean, John, John never left that theme. Yep. And this is love that we walk according to His commandments. Amen. Again, loving that that He gave a definition to. This is what love looks like. That right. we walk in obedience. Yep. Then, Second uh, John, uh, John, verses 9 and 11. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides, what a great word, that word abides. Again, yeah. John uses it in his gospel. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." Mm-hmm.
1: And I love that word "abide" too. That's one that that you know, kind of culture hasn't gotten to yet, as if you that's will. A great point. And so it, it it's something you almost uniquely it's, it's really almost uniquely Johnian, but yeah. uni, certainly uniquely Christian. And because the world doesn't have a sense of abiding, that's good. right. Because without a sense, because abiding is is closely related to contentment. Yeah. And the world is just stocked with discontent. Yeah. Right, the whole world—it's almost fueled on discontent.
0: And what you abide in, right, affects you. Amen. So that's that's what John's clearly pointing out here. Like, so so abide in Christ, right? But don't abide with false teachers because they are going to affect you. That's right. And so so that word abide, you know, to me, if I just was going to be you know real loose in a translation, would say like cozy up, right? right? So he's like cozy up always to Christ and His gospel. But if you cozy up to false teachers, guess what's going to happen? they're going to influence you. Right. They're going to impact you. So don't cozy up to the things that's, of this world.
1: That's fantastic. That's
0: and, fantastic. Then, uh, and then Second uh, John uh, 12 uh, and, and, and 3, 13 and 14 ends with kind of the same idea, and I like this. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. As you mentioned, it's expensive, <laughs> right. takes a long time to write. Back in the days, no postal service to get it there. Right. Instead, I hope to come and talk to you face to face. So that our joy may can be complete. Well,
1: and I think there's also something personal right in being together. That's yeah. one of the things COVID has brought very clearly, and right? that's
0: exactly what I was going to point right, out. Right, because
1: well, we may not use paper and ink; we may use Zoom. Right, but it's very different over right, having worship or having... And again, God bless that because yeah, we are yeah. able to do ministry. Well, just like these letters, right? right?
0: They were a technological invention, so to speak, that God used to get the message out to Absolutely. different people. And we still have them today. Right. So God is still getting the message out. But but again, the point of relationship, you know, right. Paul, I long to be with you. Right. John, I want to see you face to face. Like That's the way we should feel as brothers and sisters. And, and that's a part of maybe kind of the deferred hope you know, for us in COVID that we're learning, right. you know, don't know what you got till it's gone. Like we won't take it for granted again when right. we can all gather and be safe.
1: Well, it's, and it's right. The notion of the joy because Paul says that, right? My joy, let my joy he be does. complete. Right. And, and that com that there's something in fellowship. There's something in coming together, that matters now and we have to be careful with that because you know, it doesn't say come together in large mass or come together sure. it's when you're together with other believers with fellow followers yeah. of christ right there's a fellowship because you can gather small and it'd be very powerful Absolutely. and very
0: meaningful but it's the power of those relationships. It
1: absolutely, yeah. is the power of the relationship with each other and with God.
0: Yeah, and then here's a verse that a lot of parents use, and it's certainly <laughs> true of our children. Yep. But it, it's it, but but again, remember, John's really writing to his spiritual children here. Mm-hmm. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth.
1: Amen. And, and as a amen. pastor,
0: I, I I amen that as well. Right? right? There, there's no greater joy to me to hear that someone is taking the word of God, taking it seriously acting on what it's told them to do. And this is the fruit that it's producing. Uh, You know, again, I I appreciate all the people. Wonderful sermon today. Hey, you know, it was a great story. Great. You know, I'm thankful. But when I hear, you know, weeks, even months later, because to me that means it's stuck, right? Hey, somebody has taken God's word and put it into their life in this way. That's, that's when I'm most encouraged as a pastor. Amen. good Amen. Good stuff. All right. So that's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, a quick high-level look at those. And so with that, we come to the final book of the Bible, uh, the book of Revelation. And as Brian mentioned, you can probably hear the giddiness in my voice, um, over the years, I've grown to love this book. Um, bottom line is, it, it is consummation of the gospel story. Right? Creation, the the, the four big parts of the meta narrative: creation, fall, redemption, restoration, consummation. That's what the book of Revelation is all about, and it is brilliant. And you know, I, I I you know heard all the sermons as a kid, was afraid of it, as every kid is, I think, growing up. And then you, you start to try to read it for yourself, and it seems confusing. Here is what I've learned about Revelation. Lean into it. Amen. Like lean into it. It's not as complicated as you might think it is, as we'll talk about in a moment. Um, Yes, there are things mysterious and awesome and wonderful about it. It should be that way, right? Because this is God unveiling things, um, you know, and his ways are not our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts. So we have to hold it in a proper sense of humility, but also God gave it to us not to freak us out, but to build our faith. Amen. And so, uh, you know, all of the storylines, all of the word pictures of the Bible come together in the book of revelation. So if you have really spent this whole year walking through the Bible and you want to say, you know, next year I want to do a deep dive, do revelation. And you're going to see all these phrases and word pictures and stories that are pulled together from all the other 65 books of the Bible. Right. And that's why it is brilliant. And there's no doubt to me, John, I'm sure he was a gifted, talented guy. But there's no doubt that this book was inspired by the spirit because it is a literary masterpiece.
1: When it pulls together so much. I mean, it, it As you said, it pulls together all the, everything else in the Bible comes together here. And you, you, man couldn't create that. I don't care how I long agree. you have. I don't care how much scholarship you have. Yeah. There's no way that this could be this coherent yeah. and this broad.
0: Yeah, it could only be revealed by the Spirit, hence Amen. the name is so appropriate, appropriate revelation. So, let's let's dive into it. This is going to be interesting because <laughs> if, you know, uh, here we go, 20, 25 minutes or so. I've never done it. I've done it over a course of, you know, sermon series and we, we impacted it over several weeks uh, a couple of years ago when we looked at prophecy, but this is going to be a real quick flyby. I hope it whets your appetite and again and it just encourages you to dive in it. John is the author um, he is the, probably the last living disciple. Um, you know we get that uh, from matthew twenty uh, he 's now probably you know kind of the bishop of, of Ephesus um, what is it it 's an apocalypse, mm-hmm. and that means unveiling or uh, disclosure so remember that this is a unique kind of literature familiar to the Jewish people. Uh, and the Old Testament examples that come the closest, of course, are parts of Ezekiel and Daniel. And that's... And That's yeah.
1: what we did a few years ago, right? Was Zeke, Dan, and the Rev? Yeah. And so we yeah. did Ezekiel,
0: Daniel, and Revelation. Exactly. And so, because so, so that the Jews, in other words, had, had an understanding of how this type of literature works. And here are some some identifiable characteristics. Number one, the message originates from God Himself. Yeah. That's clear. Number two, there's the anticipation of divine intervention soon in human history. So there's always this sense of soon. Now, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago with Second Peter, remember that soon in God's timing and. Soon and ours are different things but but it is the idea of there's an urgency here number three the use of symbolic creatures actions and patterns we'll talk about that more in a second number four strong conflict between good and evil right we're now really seeing what's happening in in the spiritual realm and number five the presentation of future events as certain this will come to pass uh, now symbols are really really important uh, to to and, and to the reader right these are images of importance and so a literal image interpretation of revelation is interpreted symbolically. So the numbers represent something. For example, 12 and its multiples. 12 is a representative of God's people. So when we hear about 144,000 in heaven, right, that's 12 times 12. Even think about 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament people of faith, right, times the 12 disciples in the new, that makes 144,000. Now, a 1,000 was to them representative of a really large number. So it doesn't mean literally only 144,000 people get into heaven. Right. That's representative of all people of faith throughout redemptive history. Right. So quick example there. 10, complete amounts of time. Seven, perfection and completion. So you'll hear about the seven spirits, right? That's the Holy Spirit, and it's the fullness of his power, You'll hear about his seven churches, right? Kind of, so these seven churches represent all churches and and their struggles that they have. Four, it, it completes the world. So, for example, we talk all the the time about the four corners of the world. Um, You know, That's something that we can relate to. It's interesting that four and seven are often used together. So there is four series of seven judgments on the earth. The names of God are used either four or seven times. The seven spirits are mentioned four times in the book of Revelation. And Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God four times seven, 28 times exactly. Like we said, Brian, I don't think this could have come from the imagination of any man.
1: Right. Nobody can make
0: this up. Yeah, so it's it's amazing. All right, so Revelation is best understood in the broader category of biblical prophecy. It's a message to God's people exhorting them to remain faithful to him and predicting both near and future uh, events. The apocalyptic elements are secondary to the prophetic thrust of the book. Hmm. So kind of common language. Here's what I would tell people. Don't major in the minors right? Keep zooming out and looking at the big picture. When you get down into the weeds, and that's where a lot of the speculation goes, and it's good to go there and try to, to grapple with those things, but keep coming back up for air and look at the big picture. So so go with what is clear and work from there, and you'll have plenty, believe Absolutely. me. Because there's a lot of things in Revelation, I'll just be honest, I still don't totally have a handle on. Any scholar who studies this will tell you with humility, right? Some of this, again, is, is difficult to interpret, but there are things that are clear, and that's what discourages me. Me because the things that are unclear get elevated in the discussion within the church and it confuses people or they divide over it. And so they leave Revelation alone altogether when there's so many clear and important things it teaches us.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, when you think about what's being communicated here, right, and I, I think it was Chesterton that said words are too blunt an instrument, mm. right? There just aren't words to describe yeah. the full glory of God That's and right. the things that are going on. Yeah. So to the best way that we can, that both he can speak and we can understand, yeah. this is what we have but you're exactly right it's it's describe it's using words to describe the indescribable yes right christ the land we But they're not not words for that.
0: Right. 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 Yeah. John, you'll find places where John is literally, you can tell, he's grasping at the limitations of language to describe what he's seeing and experiencing.
1: Right. You feel like, you know, and in music, sometimes when something gets too loud, it clips, Mm -hmm. right? It clips off and you feel like you're just pressing against, right, the dynamic range of language to get this across because it is so magnificent and so glorious and so hopeful.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Great way to put it. So when it was written around AD 95, this is at the very end of the first century. It is near the end of the rule of the Roman Emperor Domitian, who viciously persecuted Christians. He was desperate late in his reign. He was probably mentally ill. You can do a lot of interesting research about him. He, he had this idea that he was Emperor Nero revived. And so that's some of the background for some of this. Again, layers upon layers here. But, but that you need to know the church is now facing severe persecution. So to that point, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Brian, John has now been exiled, arrested, uh, sent to the, 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 the rock basically sitting in the middle of the ocean that was, was Patmos. Uh, and so there he's kind of out of commission, right? And so if we're looking at it through a human lens, here's John, this old man, he's been through a lot in his life. And now he probably wonders is, is this what it's going to come down to? Right. I'm sitting here on this rock. I'm separated from the people I love. You know, I'm just waiting to die. Right. And it's like, Jesus is like, Oh no, I'm not done with you yet.
1: Well, it's interesting, though, he keeps, right, he knows it's the Lord's day.
0: He does. Right,
1: because when we go on vacation, right, it's easy to lose track of what, time, what yeah. day, right? Is it, yeah. is it Tuesday? or but, but John knows it's the Lord's day. Yeah. And so he, part of the fellowship that he keeps with God is that rhythm of the Lord's day because he knows on the Lord's day believers all over the world, right? That's one of the beautiful things about communion, yes. right, is it unites us both across the world in, in the practice and across the centuries. And so there's dimensionality, right, that he holds on to yep. in, in the way that he leads his life, even in exile.
0: That's so good. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, if I had to sum up Revelation, if we had to give a description of it in one sentence, here it is. Revelation is a series— of apocalyptic visions filled with prophetic pronouncements written as a circular congregational letter to suffering Christians. And so This letter was intended to be circulated among, among the churches. Uh, and so why? What's the big deal? Well, it's to reveal Jesus as he is. Right. That's chapter 1, verse 8, right? I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty. Amen. That's the main purpose of Revelation. And again, that's why I said we get lost in the weeds sometimes, but, but to reveal Jesus for who he is. And so I love what Scotty Smith says. He says, The most important thing about any of us is the image of God we carry in our hearts, for the quality of our lives is determined by the way we think of him. I do not think it's too strong or too simplistic to suggest that this is also the main purpose of the book of Revelation. Beginning boldly in chapter 1 and gaining momentum throughout chapter 22, Revelation is primary a revelation of... Of Jesus Christ. Christ. Amen. Not just of the end times, not just the future of events. It contains those things. Right. But it's to show us that Jesus Christ is sovereign over all of them. Okay. So there's a, an outline. Again, you could outline this much more in a much deeper way, but the vision of Christ is chapter 1, Christ the Lord. As as John sees that initial vision and in worship, then the vision of Christ for the seven churches, what Jesus sees among the seven churches, that's chapters two and three. And then the rest of the book is really the vision of consummation, things which will take place. You've got the judge, chapters four and five, the tribulation, verses six through 19, the second coming in chapter 19, the millennium in chapter 20, and the new heavens and the new earth in 21 and 22. Here's another piece of what makes Revelation a literary masterpiece. The thesis, literally, if you count the words in Greek from the beginning to the end of the book, you come right to the middle of chapter 11, which says this, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever
1: Amen. Amen,
0: right? I mean, it's, that's it. So it's literally the heart of the book. It all drives to that, pivots around it, um, and it's just amazing, again, to think about. So let's walk this down uh, with uh, some chapter summaries uh, in the time that we have left, uh, just to give you a flyover so that you can go back uh, and dig in a little bit more. Chapter one, right, is ultimate perspective. And this introduces this idea that we talk about that's so important to Revelation. It's about Jesus, bottom line. But it's primarily, as far as our response, about worship. Remember that it is written in worship to worshiping churches about who we worship as John sees and is just floored by the stunning revelation of Jesus. Mm. So Jesus appears to John, right? John, as you mentioned, Brian, is in worship on the Lord's Day. So even though he's disconnected physically from the brothers and sisters on the mainland, he knows it's the Lord's Day, it's Sunday, I'm worshiping. And then, you know, guess what happens? God shows up. Right. And that's what happens when his people worship, right? He inhabits the praise of his people. Amen. And so he gets this picture of Jesus that is this man, amazing you know, gathering, again, of word pictures and symbols from all across the pages uh, of, of the Bible. And so John is floored by it, and he bows down and he worships. One of the things that, that, that John sees is that Jesus is standing among the lampstands. Those represent the churches, the seven churches. And so Jesus is not far off. He, as they're being persecuted, he's not you know, ignoring their place. He's standing with them, right. and that had to encourage John's heart. And so we get into chapter 2 and 3, which is about the churches. Jesus truly knows each of the churches and the trials they face. In the temptation to compromise with culture, Jesus both comforts those churches and confronts them. I mean, he basically says, here's the things I see in you, you know, where you're being faithful. Here's the things I need to call out in right. each one. So Christ offers the promise to be victors with him if we remain faithful. And he's telling the churches we need to wake up and see our spirit-fueled potential.
1: Amen. Amen. And you love that balance of, of, uh, of confidence and criticism, right, where he says these are the strong things. And, and I think often in our in our Christian relationships, we don't emphasize both, right? We're yeah. either hypercritical or hyper-congratulatory. Hyper, um, but it's, it's rare to get that balance in these things.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and it's encouraging to know that I think in the very same way, Jesus standing with our churches now knows our strengths and knows our weaknesses. Right. And, and, and that should be a comfort to us that he's with us, and it should be a challenge to us, right, right? that we, we need to be faithful to him. So that that's the opening part, and by the way, there's a whole lot of pastors who are like okay with Revelation up to that point. (laughs) You'll hear a whole lot of sermons about the seven letters to the churches, right? And then they start, you know, we start getting into the rest of the book, and you you know, less and less are they confident in it. So chapter four is the throne room, and this again is this where this idea of worship really comes front and center. So John is invited into heaven, in which God, not Caesar, by the way, not Domitian, not Nero, is on the throne in a stunning display of glory and power. This moment of worship is so critical. If we zoom out, right, from all of the details, right, the, the, ra- the emerald sea, the rainbow around the throne, all the things that we see, you know, that are, are, again, word pictures of the power and presence of God, just absolutely awe-inspiring at the limitations of language itself. But the point is that, that this moment of worship has to come first so that John will know who reigns before he sees the signs and symbols of what will come. Because otherwise, what happens? everything he's going to see is going to freak him out. It's going to simply fuel his fear instead of build his faith. So worship is essential to us. We have to see God for his greatness and who he is. Then we put our troubles, our events of our world in perspective against that light versus when we start with ourselves and our world, right? Our temptation is to, to shrink God down to the size of our problems.
1: Well, and I, the most useful definition I've had of fear in ministry is ascribing power and authority to something. Yeah. And so what God does in this in, initial thing is said, "This. let me show you where all power and authority lie. Yeah. So you have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. Right. That's what this whole book is, all power. So when you see all this other stuff, it yeah. has no power or authority over you.
0: That's right. right? This is where all That's power so good, is. So man. you're
1: fear the Lord. That's right. Right. And the and nothing else has power over you. And so God establishes that yeah. authority, right? And, and and once that's established, all the rest of this stuff is seen in light yeah. of fearing the Lord. Yeah,
0: the beasts, the dragons, the, the you know, whore of Babylon, yeah. all, all of it pales in comparison yeah. right. to the greatness of God.
1: Because right, they have no power or authority.
0: Yeah. And that's another place where we get into trouble studying this prophetic stuff because we'll pull that stuff out of context and try to stu- study it and forget. No, no, no. In chapter 4, the very first thing that gripped John's heart, Jesus wanted him to see the greatest. Greatness of the Almighty. Amen. Then chapter five, and we we spent time on this with the Christmas concert, one of the great worship songs, Is He Worthy, uh, that we sing right now. Um, We see this dramatic scene in chapter five where John weeps because no one is able to open the scroll of destiny when suddenly an elder identifies Jesus as the roaring lion and the slain lamb simultaneously, same person, who is worthy. So Jesus takes the scroll from the Father, unleashing a new song of worship joined by the multitudes. So think about that. So that really is the dramatic, you know, we've gone through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But because of that, this is what was happening in the spiritual realms, right? Jesus was was driving all of history so that his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, as it says in Philippians 2. You know, and so that moment was pivotal because it unlocked God's plan for the future. And that's why heaven erupted. Then we start uh, getting deeper and deeper, right, into, into what's going to happen. And uh, chapter 6 and 7, we call those who can stand, right, uh, from uh, one of the verses in that passage, verse 17. Jesus unlocks the scroll of destiny, and we see all the ravages of history leading to that question. Who, who, can, who can even stand, right? Chapter 7 reveals that only those sealed by Jesus can stand. Night. Worship breaks out again in response, followed by silence in heaven as God listens to the prayers of his people. Mm. Then we hit the trumpet judgments. Uh, so you get this idea, right, of the judgments that are that are that are coming and being poured out on the earth. The theme of the trumpet judgments is the hope of coming justice. That's what you have to keep in mind. God has not edited out the inequities and injustice of the fallen world. And we we talk about it often, you know, but but we don't like to go fully there. The reality of judgment is hope, right. Because we know that God is going to come and he's going to right all the wrongs. The reality, though, is we want judgment for everybody else and we want grace for us. But the reality is at some point God will step back onto the stage of world history in the person of his son and he will put an end to all of the mess that we see. Right. And, and and like so, you
1: say that's not a popular it's not a popular theme in this day.
0: No, not at all. Although man we again to the <laughs> point, right? We should certainly feel it if we right. haven't. So, God has not ignored the natural consequences of sinful man and fallen creation. We are perplexed at God's seeming silence in the face of those who despise his name. So were John's audience, remember? Right. These are Christians being persecuted. Some of these Christians by these Roman emperors, right, were uh, speared, like killed alive, set on fire, and used to as, as torches at, 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 at the emperor's garden parties. I mean, and, and you're a Christian, and you're saying, Lord Jesus, how can you let that happen? Right. That's how evil and depraved the world is. Right. And so the early church had to confront that, and in the early church, right, when they cry out, "Well, why or or how long?" Right? Right. right verse ten of chapter six, well, the three cycles of seven will tell us just a little longer while God's plan is carried out to completion. Second Peter three again, he delays only because his plan is being fulfilled and there are people who are yet to come to him. So our choice in the meantime is we either have to compromise right with the world or we're, we're faithful. Right. And he calls that conquering there. So there's kind of two primary interpretations, right? That dominate. And I put this in the notes from here on in, in, revelation. One is this is a literal sequence of events that takes place past, present, future, or B a time period between Jesus's resurrection and his return from three perspectives. Note that the bowls are contained within the seventh trumpet and the trumpets within the seventh seal and that each set concludes with a final judgment. So it seems to be a cyclical pattern that we are seeing with intensifications in each one. And so I really think that that's the best way to interpret these events. So after chapters 8 through 11, the trumpet judgments, we get to 12, the dragon's last stand. And Brian, this one to me is really fun this time of year. You want to freak out your kids or your family on Christmas morning? Don't read the story from Luke 2. Turn over to Revelation 12 and read the cosmic version of the Christmas story because that's what this is. Introducing the second half of Revelation, John sees the drama of the birth and victory of Christ and the subsequent defeat of Satan. It's the story of Christmas but through the comic lens, cosmic lens. Not comic but that's something it's 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 not comical at all it's cosmic (laughs) right Uh, though conquered and cast out of heaven the dragon falls to earth determined to hurt god's children until his time at last runs out and that's what we're living in satan is a defeated dragon but just like an animal that's killed, or you know you have those death throws where that tail lashes about and those arms and legs are still kicking, that's what we're in right now that's right. and guess what? The closer we get to Jesus' return, the enemy feels it, senses it, Absolutely. and so the more he thrashes about because he can't hurt God, he can't stop what Christ has already done. Right. He can only hurt God's children,
1: right. That's that's all he has any any ability to even influence. Yes. Right. Because God's authority is going is that's final. Right. That's and right. so it's just a matter of it's a matter yeah. of time. Yeah.
0: Right. It's yeah, I like one theologian time. who says Satan is a defeated dragon, right? right? But he's a dragon on a leash. Right.
1: But he's still a dragon.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's
1: the key, right? Exactly. He's still a dragon.
0: So, uh, so anyway, just a really creative, incredible way to look at what what God has done in the the, the ministry of Jesus in chapter twelve. Then uh, in chapter thirteen, we get know thy enemy. We get the unholy Trinity, which is fascinating, right? We've already been introduced to the dragon, um, you know, and now we get the beasts. And so there are these, these the dragon and these two beasts, and what that, that reminds us of is that God exists as Father, Spirit, Son. Right. And that the enemy is always trying to come up with a cheap knockoff of who God is. Right. And right. so it's terrifying to us because, right, they're, in comparison to us, very powerful, right? right? The enemy is very powerful. But again, in comparison to God, these are just caricatures, right? right. These are just lame ripoffs
1: right but from the but from a a worldly perspective it looks the same mm-hmm. and that's what's so dangerous about false teaching about false teachers where right. right? there are perspectives from which they look the same but they're far from it right and in any earnest search of scripture will reveal both who God is and who they are
0: yeah so satan's strategy is really pretty simple and you see it again unveiled in this way in the apocalypse but we've seen it all throughout scripture Act like God and kill anyone who isn't fooled by the impersonation. Human leaders, for example, become beasts when they don't acknowledge God's kingdom. We've seen that in the bad kings, right, riddled throughout the pages of Scripture and history. But the message of Daniel and Revelation are the same. God will one day confront the beast and rescue his world. Mm. So don't be unaware. The call for us is for endurance and faith during these times. Do you know Jesus? Or are you just following a satanic satanic impersonation of Jesus?
1: Exactly. Or or the Jesus that you make up on your own, right? Which comes all back to the satanic Jesus. Yeah. Because it, it's, you know, is he made in your image or are you made in his?
0: That's right. Because it's false. So powerful stuff. Mm. Then in chapter 14, we get one of these interludes about the redeemed. Having seen Satan's uh, war against the church in powerful images, John now sees the enemy will not have the final word. John gives assurance to the redeemed, warns the wicked and encourages the righteous let the redeemed of the Lord say so right and so it's it, it's always interesting to me too Brian you know there's these heavy heavy chapters you know filled with this you know intense battle but then you have these these interludes of encouragement right. and so you know even just that, that that's the way life is right we go right. into the battle and then the Lord will give us a picture of what he's doing and to it encourage us and strengthen us. And then boom, right back into the battle. So that's verses 15 uh, through 18, the final destruction. These chapters depict the pouring forth of God's wrath on those who oppose the beast. Uh, in, instead of the lamb. Again and again, trouble will sweep the world. That's the seals. Whenever suffering is caused, God warns it can't be caused with impunity. That's the trumpet judgments. Whenever his warnings go unheeded, he will in the end punish the wrongdoers. That's the bowls of wrath. Why bowls? Well, I think this is fascinating. Well, for one, they're bigger than, than cups, right? <laughs> but, but the other one is, in the ancient world, citizens under siege would fill bowls with whatever they could, and they'd go up on the wall or the second floor, and they would throw it down on the enemy. So literally, it's a picture of God throwing everything in the kitchen sink at those who choose evil over good. Wow. It was a word picture John's audience would have understood. Wow. And then we get to chapter 19, the ultimate battle. After the terrible judgment of the bulls of God are unleashed on God's unrepentant enemies, the destruction of the immoral Babylon is complete. A hallelujah chorus breaks out in heaven, Handel, by the way, inspired. It's a Christmas tradition, but it's actually more about revelation than it is you know, uh, the, the coming of christ that's where the hallelujah chorus comes from and the marriage feast of the lamb is announced and jesus appears as the bridegroom but he's dressed for battle ready to fight for his bride his people interestingly enough god's people us we come in white linen right that's party clothes that is translation we don't lift a finger in the great battle at the end because jesus doesn't need our help right (laughs) he's already won the battle the victory and so Jesus single handedly defeats the beast in his armies, proving what the the inscription on his thigh that it is true. He is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Oh, I just want to go to preaching, Brian. All right. <laughs> (laughs) So then we get the thousand years, which is the, 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 the thousand years of peace that Christians like to fight about. Exactly. Right. And so we obviously don't have time to get into all that today. We've got some resources if you want them, but so what the Bible does say, big picture is clear. Satan is bound for a thousand years after which he's released for one short final gasp. In this, God roots out every trace of evil. The earth and sky are kind of disassembled and the great white throne judgment takes place. And that sets the scene for, I, I get emotional just thinking about it, right? The new heaven and the new earth. Amen. Now, if you have been reading the Bible with us, you come to these two last chapters, right? And you just, uh, my eyes well up with tears. Uh, I just get chills to say, at last, long last, here, here is what we've been promised. Here is what we've been longing for the consummation of God's eternal plan fulfilled in the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. We are forever God's people and God himself, he says, will be our God. Wipe away every tear from our eye. In the final chapter of the Bible, we see the curse of Eden reversed. That's chapter 22. Paradise is regained in the Eden-like city of God where Jesus is with and among his people forever. And at last it says we will see him face to face. And so with that, Jesus promises he's coming back soon. And there's an invitation for all to come. The Bible ends on an invitation. It's why we end every worship service, every gospel conversation with an invitation to come. And we respond as God's people, amen, come, Lord Jesus. And I don't know about you, Brian, man, but at the end of this year with the pandemic, with the the loved ones that we've lost, uh, who've gone home to be with the Lord, I I long for this world more than I ever have.
1: Amen, amen. I mean, the contrast could not be more clear, right The contrast could be more clear, and I know' it's my maturing in the years, kind of like Paul and John, as I head to the ahead right, head into the later years of my life that, that you start to appreciate this vision more and more the the more you see how the world really operates, and just over time and in cycles and, and it's just like the, it's just like these things in increasing cycles of depravity. Yeah. You just, you know, over the time I've been here, I've just watched increasing cycles of depravity and you just look at Jesus and go, I, I, I get it. You know, and I, I want all to be saved too. And I right. understand you're patient, but come Lord Jesus. Yeah. Come Lord Jesus. Yeah. I'm, you
0: know, yeah so read, read 21 and 22. If you're yeah. discouraged, meditate on them, let them fill your heart because this is what God has planned for those who love him.
1: Yeah. This is the certainty. Right. We talk about certainty of hope, right, from right. Hebrews. This is our certainty of hope. Yeah. And so what that empowers us to do is live in this reality yeah. now.
0: Yeah. And so speaking of that, great segue. How do we live in this reality now? I love that it, the, near the very end of this chapter, the angel tells John, right, don't, don't worship me, right? I'm just the messenger. <laughs> Two-word summary. Worship God. God. Amen. And, and really, for all of the complexities of Revelation, for all of you who are intimidated by it, that's the thesis. <laughs> right. It's two words. Worship God, because in the end, we've seen that Jesus wins. That's right. another two-word summary right, <laughs> right. Uh, of, of the book of Revelation. Jesus wins. And I love C.S. Lewis' you know, statement in The Last Battle because this just speaks to that hope, right? All their life in Narnia, we could say all our life on earth, had only been the cover in the title page. Right. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Amen. Ah, man, that's it. So, quick wrap up to Revelation here. This vision of Christ is designed to fuel what in us as God's people? Well, number one, unshakable hope. Amen. You just spoke to it, Brian, right? This is certainty. This is real. We live in the shadow lands because of sin. But this, this world that we just read about, it's not fantasy. Right. Heaven is more real than earth. That's right. And and that's what we have a picture of. So, allow that to give you unshakable hope hope. Number two, unwavering holiness. Amen. We see all throughout the uh, the book of Revelation, right? It's those who endure, those who persevere, those who don't compromise with the whore of Babylon and with the beast and with the dragon. So we have got to continue to be God's people, even when it gets hard. Amen. And the time's coming when Jesus is going to separate the sheeps and the goats, the sheep and the goats, and I really believe especially with 2020 I, we're seeing that more in our lifetime than I kind of ever thought we would right yeah. and, and so so those who persevere, those who are faithful, obedient, that we have got to be unwavering in our holiness number three, uncompromised mission mm. we've got to tell people right there's an urgency. That this day is coming and it approaches quickly, right. you know, and so because of that, we have got to be about the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus, every opportunity we have, what this is not designed to do revelation. Let me throw this in there is, is to give unstable and unnecessary and unhelpful helpful speculation. Yep. Now, again, hear me say there is a right time and a place to grapple with the timelines and when's it's going to happen and what are these signs and these things. But the reality is, is Jesus didn't give this vision, right, So for, for, for us in the 21st century to debate about. Right. He gave this vision to encourage suffering and persecuting, persecuted Christians, both then in the first century, throughout the ages, and now that he is sovereign over all history. So we fix our eyes on him. Right? Amen. So I love what John Stott says. We do not need a detailed forecast of future events, which has to be laboriously deciphered, but rather a vision of Jesus Christ to cheer the faint and encourage the weary. John's desire is not to satisfy our curiosity about the future, but to stimulate our faithfulness in the present.
1: Fantastic.
0: So with that, we wrap up the Bible saying, let's be faithful to the God who has always been faithful to us. Amen. Brian, would you close us out in prayer?
1: Absolutely. Father God, we are thankful oh man are we thankful thankful for your grace thankful for your son that saves us thankful for your word and particularly your revelation and particularly the way it ends right particularly those last couple of chapters because we see that certainty of hope we we, we grasp that and father while it's almost inconceivable that a place like that exists we know it's true and so give us the courage and the humility and the perseverance to live that out today to live your truth Every day in everything we do and everything we see and everyone we come in contact to so that we have an, an answer for the hope that is in us. And Father, let your gospel pour forth. And so, Father, we, we would ask for revival uh, among, among your people and, mm-hmm. and for the gospel to have you know, just unthinkable numbers of converts because we know your Holy Spirit is, is, is power to do that. But we lay all that to your will. And so, Father, let us be changed. Let us walk out more sure as believers, more sure of who you are and more sure of who we are in you. And, Father, bless us this day to do your work and to glorify you. It's in the precious name of Christ Jesus that we pray. Amen.
0: Amen.